I invite you to take your copy of the Word of God and find 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, we are in a series of messages taken from this very brief letter written by the Apostle Peter. Now, we just stop and go home right now. This has been a really great day. We had incredible praise this morning, extraordinary sermon from Pastor Brian. If you weren't here this morning, let me encourage you to go online this week and listen to his exposition of Exodus 32, the idolaters mediator. And uh, our orchestra and uh, our Regen Choir. I said last Sunday morning in the State of the Church Address, we are enjoying the favor of God. And we need to be thankful to Him for His goodness to us. Uh, final words uh, communicate matters of great importance. So you're going on a long journey, you give final words to your family before you depart. Uh, but the most significant final words would be those that would be spoken by a person on his or her deathbed. And uh, Samuel Rutherford was on his deathbed, and someone was close by with a pen to record his dying words. And he said, Dear brethren, do all for him. Pray for Christ. Preach for Christ. Do all for Christ. Beware of men pleasing. The chief shepherd will shortly appear. John Wesley, the founder of the modern Methodist movement, in his final declaration said, the best of all is God is with us. And then he said it again, the best of all is God is with us. And then he said it a third time, the best of all is God is with us. And then he said farewell and went to see the Lord. Lyle Dorset, a biographer of the great evangelist Dwight L. Moody, said on his deathbed, the ailing preacher roused from sleep and in slow measured words announced to those family members gathered around his bedside, earth recedes, heaven opens for me. Farewell words are important words of great significance. And what we have in the second letter of the apostle Peter is his farewell testament to those, his brothers and sisters in the faith that he had loved and nurtured and he is writing to remind them of truths that he had communicated to them in earlier days. So tonight, think with me about this subject, eternal truths to remember and cherish. Eternal truths both to remember and to cherish. Our text is found in 2 Peter chapter 1. We begin with verse 12 and read through verse 21, the end of the chapter. So I'll, remind, so I'll always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth 
you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it as a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You will notice in this passage of scripture, three distinct paragraphs. And in each one of these paragraphs, Peter makes three appeals to those to whom he is writing this letter. The first appeal is found in verses 12 through 15. There we, we, we see an appeal to remember truth previously learned. Now in these four verses, he does not identify the truth that's previously been communicated and learned, uh, but he, he makes an appeal to remember what you already know. Don't forget what you've been taught. Now look in verse 12, he says, so I will always remind you of these things. Look in verse 13. I think it is right to refresh your memory. Uh, look in verse 15. Make er so that you will always be able to remember these things. Peter wants those who are receiving this letter to re to remember what they have already been taught. Now, why such an appeal to remember? Well, because our memory is faulty <laughs> and unreliable. And the older we get, the more unreliable our memory becomes. We need to be reminded. Occasionally, I'll look back in my, one of my journals. I've been keeping journals now for decades. I journal about my life and what's going on at Lakeview, about my family and all manner of things. And it's a little bit embarrassing sometimes to remember a certain event and go back to check out that event in my journal and I have remembered it incorrectly. I thought it happened a certain way, but my journal says it happened another way. Now, I trust what I wrote the day after the event happened and what my memory serves up 20, 30 or more years later. We need to be reminded about truth. Now look in verse 12 again. 
So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. You, you know these truths, but you need to be reminded of them. You, you need to hear them over and over again. Now, if we hear something over and over, eventually it'll lodge itself in our memory bank. A long time ago, there was a McDonald's commercial that said, some of you know it, two all beef patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles on the sesame seed bun. God knows I didn't set out to memorize that, <laughs> but it's there. I must have heard it a thousand times. I talked my wife the other day into letting me go to McDonald's. I had my first Big Mac, and I don't know when, and I did enjoy it. Well, if we, if we have uh, the tendency to forget facts and figures and Christian doctrines, we need to hear them repeated again and again. Look in verse 13. There, uh, Peter says, I think it is right to refresh your memory. P Peter is uh, looking to refresh their uh, ability to remember things that they had been taught. He says, as long as I live in the tent of this body. Now, verse 14, because I know I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus has made clear to me. These physical bodies are mortal, and both uh, Peter and Paul compare our physical mortal bodies to a tent. Uh, you don't want to live in a tent, you know, your entire life. You want a permanent dwelling. You want, you want something with substance to it. A tent is temporary. It can be uh, uprooted and, and moved from place to place, unlike a, a person's uh, a physical dwelling. And, and Peter is saying here, as long as I'm still in this world, I'm still in this tent, because uh, I'm soon going to put it aside. Jesus has made this clear to me, he says in verse 14. Now, when did Jesus make that clear to him? Well, we don't know. We do know in John chapter uh, uh, 21, after Jesus had denied Peter three times, that Jesus restored Peter, and Jesus said to Peter, uh, this is how you're going to die. You're going to be taken where you don't want to be taken. So maybe that was it, but about 30 years had passed, so he's probably 60 years old now. And he'd passed the life expectancy of people in that day, so he knew he didn't have long in this world. So these are final words. And he's not coming with something new and fresh. He says in verse 13, refresh, not fresh, but refresh. Not just something new and creative, but it's something old and true and faithful. Uh, Peter was repeating himself in this letter. And as we're going to see tonight, he repeats himself in this letter about the Lord Jesus Christ, especially his transfiguration on the sacred mountain. And then he repeats, him, he repeats what he had told them somewhere previously about the scripture and its inspiration from the Holy Spirit of God. Now, effective preachers know the value of repetition. Uh, and Jesus is our exhibit A. You read the Gospels and you find Jesus repeating himself over and over. 
In fact, the most sermon, most famous sermon ever preached was preached by Jesus, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, but he preached it again on the plains. Some folks look at what Luke said about the storm on the plain and Jesus on the storm on the mountain. They say, well, who's right and who's wrong? I mean, Matthew says it happened on the mountain and Luke says it happened on the plain. Somebody's got to be wrong. No, it happened twice. And it probably happened a number of times. So Jesus was a repetitious preacher. On Sunday, January 15, 2017, I wrote these words in my journal. Great preaching is not that which dazzles the listener with something new and creative each Sunday. Great preaching is that which, over the course of time, results in a transformed life in which the hearers love God more and more. Uh, this is true of our hymns and our songs. The songs we sing again and again are the ones that teach and reinforce doctrinal truth. We learn by hearing the same truths taught from the pulpit. We learn by hearing the same doctrinal truths taught in the songs that we sing to the Lord. Verse 15, there Peter says, and I will make every effort to see that after my departure, where's he going to? He's departing to be with the Lord in heaven, that you will always be able to remember these things. So he begins in these first four verses with a, an appeal to remember truth that's been taught in the past. That's the first appeal. Now, there is a second appeal in verses 16, 17, and 18. Here we have an appeal to remember the truth about Jesus. He goes from the, from the generic to the specific. And uh, in particular, the truth about the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus on the sacred mountain. Let's look in verses 16, 17, and 18. He said, we did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. So what you have here in these three verses in 2 Peter uh, 1, verses 16, 17, and 18 is a summary of what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration. I think it'd be helpful for us just to hold our place in 2 Peter and go back to uh, Matthew's account. It's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but let's go to Matthew's account, chapter 17, and uh, let's... Uh, Let's read uh, the account in this gospel of the transfiguration. Here's the way Matthew describes it. Matthew chapter 17, beginning with verse 5. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Now, those were the inner three in Jesus' circle. They were the ones he was most intimate with. And he led them up to a high mountain by themselves. And there he was transfigured 
before them. Now, what, is it, what does it mean to be transfigured? Well, he was changed. Matthew says in verse 2, his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. It doesn't get any brighter than that, to shine like the sun. That was his face, and his clothes were as white as light. He was transfigured. And just then there appeared before them, before Jesus, Peter, James, and John, Moses representing the law and Elijah representing the prophets. So Moses and Elijah representing the Old Testament, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter, who is always outspoken, said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. What an extraordinary experience that must have been to be in the presence of Jesus as he was being transfigured before them. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is God the Father speaking, this is my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. Listen to him. So there's the experience. Now, I'm not going to unpack that. We're going back to Second Peter uh, chapter 1 and uh, just look at Peter's uh, calling them to remember this experience and his uh, explanation of that. Uh, first Peter, excuse me, second Peter chapter one. And, and he says in verse 16, we did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So what happened on the Mount of Transfiguring was not, was not some myth, some invented story. It was rooted in time and space. Now I hold in my hand here a copy of the Jefferson Bible. Thomas Jefferson, the third president of the United States was not a follower of Jesus, he was a deist. But he did have some regard to the ethical teachings of Jesus and he had his own Bible, he took it his copy of the Word of God, and he took scissors to it and cut it and pasted it and cut out all the supernatural, all the stuff that was distasteful to him. And so you can purchase a copy of it for yourself. Uh, it's, a, it's a Bible that's been cut up by the third president of the United States. He didn't believe in the supernatural. He didn't believe in the transfiguration. Just ethical teachings that appeal to his sensibilities. No. Peter says, look at it again in verse 16. He's saying here in verse 16, uh, excuse me, Mr. Jefferson, you are wrong. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter was there, James was there, John was there. They saw Jesus transfigured before their very eyes. They, 
they used their sense of sight. They knew it was real. And on their sense of sight, with their sense of hearing, look in verses 17 and 18. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory. Majestic glory, that's, that's God. God the Father. And what was the voice? Say of Jesus, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well Please, verse 18, we ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the mountain. We saw him, we were eyewitnesses, we heard the voice of the majestic glory of God the Father. And Jesus was receiving honor and glory. This was a glimpse of Jesus in glory. This morning, Pastor Brian, preaching from Exodus 32, suggested, and I think rightly so, that the angel there was a theophany of Christ, of the pre-incarnate Christ. Now, I want to suggest tonight that what we have in the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus Christ is a pre-ascension manifestation of the glory of the Son of God before he went back to glory. I don't know if you'd call that a theophany or what you'd call it, but I only suggest that's what it is. Peter and James and John were given this glimpse of, of Jesus glorified even before his passion, his burial, and his resurrection and ascension. And someday in heaven, we will see Jesus and we will see this Jesus. What can we expect when we see Jesus in glory? Hold your place. Second Peter chapter one, we'll come back here in a moment and find Revelation chapter one. Revelation chapter one, verses 12 through 18. John the apostle was exiled on the Isle of Patmos and Jesus revealed himself to him and uh, we'll just pick up this, uh, this narrative here in verse 12. John said, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. Now the voice speaking to John was the resurrected glorified Jesus. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. Clearly this is Jesus, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest, his head and hair were like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire, and his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters, and in his right hand he held held seven stars and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And then he placed his hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead and behold, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. 
Now, you may have some idea in your mind about what you're actually going to be when you encounter Jesus face to face. But when John encountered him on the Isle of Patmos in this apocalyptic vision, he said, I, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Now, theologians and pastors and ministers of music have attempted in recent years to give some precise definition of what true worship is. I want to tell you, when you see Jesus, you will worship him. You will worship him when you see him. There's no one in all of the universe more glorious, more beautiful, more lovely, more desirable, more splendid, and yet more fearful. As John said, I fell at his feet as though dead. But we look forward to seeing him face to face. And when we see him, the apostle John said, we will be like him. three appeals in this text. There was an appeal to remember truth previous learned. There was an appeal to remember truth about the Lord Jesus. And now finally, this third appeal in verses 19, 20, and 21, an appeal to remember truth about the scripture. So let's go back to 2 Peter uh, chapter 1. Now look in verse 19, and we have heard, we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it as a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture had its, uh, came about by the prophet's own interpretation for prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit spirit. Peter is saying, don't forget the truth about the scripture, about the word of God. Now the Jewish people had their scriptures. We know it as the Old Testament. Uh, New Testament scriptures were being given as Peter penned these words. This letter itself is scripture. Uh, what Peter wrote in the first letter is scripture. And by the end of the first century AD, the New Testament canon was completed. So we have 39 books in the Old Testament and 27 in the New Testament that make up 66 books and of our Bible. And this Bible is no ordinary book. I want to go so far as to say it's not even an extraordinary book because I don't think that does justice to it. This Bible is the book of God. You can't compare the Bible to any other book. It is unique. It is supreme. Our Baptist faith and message, which is our confessional statement here that God that governs what we believe as members of Lakeview Baptist Church says in Article 1 on the Scripture, quote, the Bible has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. And so Peter is saying, 
remember the truth about the Scripture, about the Word of God. Because false teachers were questioning the truth about the Bible and especially about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, next time we're going to get into chapters uh, 2 where uh, Peter talks about these false teachers and uh, how they just tunnel from within the church to destroy. There's much there that we need to hear. Chapter 3, he identifies uh, one of their heresies. Is they're saying, Jesus is not coming back. Where's the, where's the promise of his coming? Well, Peter responds to that. We'll be there in chapter 3. But here in the latter part of chapter 1, Peter appeals to the Scriptures. Look again in verse 19. We have, and we have the word of the prophets made more certain. That's, of course, a reference to uh, the Old Testament. And we will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place. Uh, we are to pay attention to the Scriptures because uh, they, they're like a light. The psalmist said, uh, your word is a light to my feet and a lamp unto my path. And the Bible is a light shining in a dark place. We live in a, in a fallen, broken, sin-cursed world. And it is, it is the light given in the pages of Holy Scripture, which is our only source of truth and hope. And so what we have here in, in, in the pages of, of, of the Bible is the revelation of God given to us in inscripturated form, and we are to pay attention to it. Look at it again in verse 17. You will do well to pay attention to it. It's a light shining in a dark place. Now, in the province of God, I've, I've been in 50-plus countries, and I've been in some hard places and I can tell you where there's little gospel proclamation and little Bible knowledge, there is poverty and squalor and sadness and bondage. And we're seeing it creeping into our own affluent society as we reject the Word of God as our compass for how we are to order our lives and our families and our businesses and even our churches. God help us. But where the Bible goes, light and progress goes, there's redemption and lift. Before William Carey took the gospel down to India, when one of those Hindu husbands died and they would burn his body on the funeral pyres, they would take his widow still alive and burn her on the funeral pyres. And who is responsible for changing that? It was that Baptist missionary from England, William Carey, taking the light of the gospel and the light of the word of God found in the pages of Holy Scripture. This Bible points us home to heaven we're to pay attention to it as a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns. That's a, that's a reference to Jesus coming back and the morning star. That's Jesus rises in your hearts. Now in verses 20 and 21, he talks about the origin of the Bible. 
Verse 20, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. So you pick up your Bible and you read the prophecy of Isaiah or Jeremiah or Amos or just take your pick of any of those great Old Testament prophets. That's not just Jeremiah's opinion or Isaiah's opinion. No, not at all. It never had its origin in the prophet's own interpretation. Look in verse 21, for prophecy never had its origin in the will of God, excuse me, in the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit of God. So you have in the first five books of the Bible, you have uh, what's known as the the books of Moses, because Moses was the human penman. He, he wrote what the Spirit of God gave him to write. You have the creation account. This is not just Moses' uh, guess at how the world began. Moses wasn't there. He didn't know any more than your eye. But God told him. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I just say to some uh, Bible denying liberal biologist somewhere who said it took millions and millions of years. Were, were you there? No. But God was there and he told Moses what to put down. And I rather believe the supreme, sublime, sweet story of Genesis chapter one and all that monkey mythology by those pointy headed professors that don't know better. Comes to Isaiah. He wrote down what God wanted him to say. Now, that'd be true for the New Testament writers Peter, James, John, Luke. Yeah, think about it like this these writers of our Bible, about 40 uh, different authors, human authors, wrote in three languages the Old Testament. In Hebrew with a little bit of Aramaic, the New Testament in Greek, over a period of about 15 or 1600 years on three continents, 66 books, different, come from all kinds of backgrounds, kings, military men, fishermen, a physician, farmers, uh, you name it. But it has one great theme woven from Genesis 1 all the way to Revelation 22. Now, how can this be? The Spirit of God directed what they wrote. Now, if you're a careful student of your Bible, you know that you read the writings of the Apostle John, the Gospel, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and you compare that with the uh, writings of uh, the Apostle Paul, and they, they have a different style, a different vocabulary, a different syntax. And I think it's apparent in our English text, but it's very apparent in the Greek text. I'd much rather translate John from Greek than Paul from Greek. So, the Spirit of God worked in them to pen what God wanted said through their personality, uh, their, their background, their vocabulary, so that what we have is the very words that God wanted in the Bible. So that every word, every sentence, every paragraph 
As Peter says here, look at it again in verse 21. It did not have his origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit of God. It's like a, uh, it's, it's a, it's like a, uh, a sailboat out on a lake and the wind comes and blows and fills the sail till it's full and the wind carries that boat along. The Spirit of God did this. And yeah, we see the differences. Uh, look over in chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15, excuse me, verses uh, uh, 15 and 16. 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16. Uh, Peter writes, Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote with the wisdom that God gave him. He, Paul, writes in the same way in all his letters, speaking of them in these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do to the other scriptures to their own destruction. Now, two things here. First of all, uh, Peter is saying that the writings of Paul are scripture, just like the writings of uh, Moses and Jeremiah and all the other Old Testament prophets. And second, he's saying it's a little bit harder to understand what Paul wrote than it is what somebody else wrote, which we all know to be true. So, it is the Spirit of God who worked in the personalities of these holy men of old to give us this clear word from God. Now, let me give you two words that the theologians use. I think some of you already know this, but uh, speak of the inspiration of the Bible. One is verbal. At Lakeview Baptist Church, we believe in the verbal inspiration of the Bible. What does that mean? It means the words, not just the thoughts, but the words themselves are inspired of God. And the other word is plenary, which means all of it, every word. It's all inspired. So Paul, excuse me, Peter here is, is writing this last will and testament. He doesn't have long in this world. And he said, I want to remind you of some things. Don't forget what you've learned in the past, especially don't forget what you've learned about Jesus. And especially don't forget what you've learned about the Bible. Now, in light of all this, how shall you and I respond? And our answer is found right here in verse 19. Go to verse 19 and once again. And we have the word of the prophets made more sure or certain. And you will do well to pay attention to it. That's how we respond. The Bible is not just a book to uh, tickle our intellect or, to, you know, we can just uh, do doctrine or whatever. Or, or do a biographical study. I mean, those are all wonderful, but it's not there just for our intellect. It's there for our transformation. Pay attention to it. This is the book of God by whom we encounter God day after day. We neglect this book to our own peril. God, our Father, thank you for this holy book you've given to us. A lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. A light in, shining in the darkness.
God, I pray for Lakeview Baptist Church that we will always remember these truths about Jesus, about the Bible, and we will walk in the light as Jesus is in the light and thereby give him glory. Now, Father, I pray for that person here tonight who does not know Christ, that even tonight might be the moment of salvation, of new life, of total surrender to the Lordship of Christ. We ask it in your name, Lord Jesus, and for your glory. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us today. If you felt the Lord leading you to respond today, whether that was to receive Christ for the first time or to take your next step in baptism, or if you have a prayer request, we want to start that conversation with you. Visit lakeviewbaptist.org slash contact to get in touch with one of our pastors. And as always, you can stay connected with us through our social media and website.